Hey guys, welcome to Urban Gym Podcast number 27. I'm Matt McClellan. I'm here with Tony Eberhardt. Hey, what's up guys? For her unfortunate like last time, please tell me you'll come back and join us. I'll time. do a cameo or something. Okay, some great. Point. Well, Tony is uh, slowly departing Urban Engine here and, and into her new job at Toyota Mazda. So we've been grateful to have her here for so long, um, especially to be a part of this podcast. Uh, she's been co-hosting with me for something around these 27 episodes, almost all of them, um, and making sure that we do this and that I show up on time and that we know what we're talking about. And uh, so thank you for that. Yeah, it's been fun. And so, uh, again, we're just, uh, we're going to dig into another topic for you guys. Um, you know, we always try to cultivate something that we feel like drives benefit to the listeners, something that, um, whether you're in your own business, thinking about starting your own business, or just trying to improve your day-to-day workflow, um, as a manager, leader in your organization, um, something you can take to heart, um, and hopefully learn from, um, or critique yourself on. And so today we want to talk about managing expectations. Yeah, there's a lot of different contexts for what that can mean. So um, Matt and I, in preparing for today's conversation, we talked about managing expectations and what that means for different personality types and what that means for different kinds of leaders, whether you're a business owner or a product manager or an entrepreneur. Um, There's lots of different ways to manage expectations around goal setting, around leading teams. And so um, we are hoping that we can spend a little bit of time today talking about how to create systems for managing expectations so that performance and business growth is really what can be expected to be the product of however you approach that. So I guess with that, Matt, I would ask when you think of managing expectations, what does that mean to you? And how does it integrate into your day-to-day ops for running Apparel Lab and Absolute Nutrition? So I, I think that I always like to come from a perspective of failure and lessons learned, right? And uh, when it comes to managing expectations, from a, a leader and a managerial perspective, I'm really, really bad at it. Um, and it's because I tend to put my own expectations I would have for myself, uh, which are very lofty, oftentimes unachievable um, for others. And I don't do that intentionally to be unachievable. That's just how a lot of times it falls. And so over the years, I've had to understand that about myself through constant goal setting and goal failures, um, how that really needed to work better for certain people. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very much high drive, like I always like to set the bar higher, sometimes even before we get there. Um, and so even thinking back to the early days of, you know, maybe my goals for, uh, an athletic performance, you know, cross country running, for example, you know, setting these numbers out. I remember when I, when I was first starting in, in high school, uh, as a freshman coming in, I was like, I'm going to break the four minute mile before I graduate. All right. And just so you guys know, I can't remember exactly how many years it had been, but it, it had been something like 20, 30 years since the four minute mile had been broken in by a high school athlete. Um, and I think my sophomore year, actually somebody else came through and then broke that four minute mile. And so then it was like, eh, that's not even really my goal anymore. Like I kind of let it fall the wayside. It was also a really good excuse to not have to achieve that because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's an insane goal. Right. Um, that's like lim- the kind of the limitation of human performance at that age, almost like it's yeah. a very, it's a very high standard, but you know, I just always set these crazy goals for myself of, of something I want to achieve. And you know, there's that quote out there that even if you set your, your goal in, uh, in the stars, you'll land on the moon, right? Yeah. And so I, 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 I kind of believe way, in that to, to an yeah. extent, right? If I always set these high goals, I'm always going to at least fall somewhere um, well above maybe the average or, or what uh, should be should have been achievable otherwise, mm-hmm. right? But 
so looking at to how I set goals now, I try to encourage my team to set their own goals. And then I try to come in and mentor them based around past performance and then personal uh, strengths and weaknesses that they may have. But but back up, because I feel like there's some wisdom, like you kind of maybe skipped over a lot of like wisdom and learning, right? So you are somebody that has always kind of self-monitored, competitive with yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. even more so than others. Um, you know, you pointed out that when you were in high school and somebody else met the goal that you were after, once they met it, it wasn't attractive to you anymore. I would imagine perhaps that's because, you know, one, it was going to be really hard, but two, it's, um, you know, it's, it's not big enough. If somebody that you know has already kind of exceeded that, you want to do something different or bigger so that you can, you know, make an, you know, feel good about what you've achieved And so I think that that's like an internal kind of goal setting process or perspective. But in terms of leading teams to kind of become those kinds of same kinds of individuals that are going to set goals from themselves and really self-motivate to be able to do that means somewhere along the lines, um, you know, did you never have a, a fear of failure? Did you always celebrate failure? Have your teams always celebrated failure? Is there no fear associated with it? What are like, can you give a couple examples of a time that you were a new manager, early entrepreneur, kind of hiring employees one and two where, you know, you were trying to get them to help you meet goals for your business growth, but they were so lofty and then they didn't get met. Like, what did failure look like in that context? And then can you kind of over time do an example of what that might look like today? Wow, that was a lot. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you're right. Uh, I am super competitive. And so the goal not being big enough sometimes, yeah, that's that's definitely something that I've struggled with. And, and I would say that that has influenced my decisions. Um, I, I think that my earlier on failures, you know, I think back to, uh, you know, I think a lot of uh, comparison and assumption comes into managing expectations too, right? You assume something, so that is then your expectation a lot of times when it may, I, w- I would say almost always, fall short of that. Um, you, you shouldn't assume when managing expectations. You should definitely work on facts, right? Um, but so I, I did hire one of my, the first salaried manager ever. Um, from a competing business, um, felt very good about that because of the level of the competing business in the corporate world versus my little small mom and pop operation. Um, and then very quickly realized that we did not operate in the same manner. Um, the the skill set that this person had versus the skill set that I hoped that they had were polar opposite. And so very quickly taking myself out of the role in this store as the, the manager and pretty much sole person there during the days to this other person, sales fail dramatically. Hmm. It's because that skill set was not the same. What were the skills? Uh, so the skills would be one to to really sit back and, and try to serve customers uh, completely. Um, and so really answer all of the questions and make sure you're, you're filling all their needs, not just filling one need or going for the high ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, this person went for the high ticket every time rather than for the solution. And there's a big difference there. And not just from a sales perspective as far as performance, but also with the customer experience and satisfaction side. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, if someone were to say, hey, Tony, I want to start build an app. Mm-hmm. And you're like, cool, yeah, all you need to do is go online and find a developer in India and tell them the app you want to do. And then that's it. 
you're not setting them up for success, right? You're giving them a very small piece of the puzzle. Now, maybe a large piece of the puzzle, but that's that's not going to help them at all. You know, better setting them up for success, maybe leading them to our podcast about apps, right? That really gives them the basis for what they need to understand about their app and all of the pieces that they need to have together before they even approach a developer. Right. And so then you're giving them all of these pieces to then go and have that 90% success rating because they have everything to put together, right? Instead of just that one major piece. And it was the same thing in this in this stance where you know the employee would go for the one single high ticket item which is never one thing to solve a goal almost always very rarely right unless this person comes in doing 90% of everything right in the first place so it takes a lot more qualification and conversation between customer and our team to really get to that answer and he, he just was not facilitating that. And so you, we watched a heavy sales fall off and also an even heavier fallout because the people are not getting what they're used to getting on a service level and then also on a results level, right? Because we're not filling those needs in um, with this position. And that was a really expensive learning lesson um, for me uh, to really go back to... One, you know, setting setting goals again because I didn't really have many goals for him. Yeah. Um, early on, because I just didn't know what I was doing. Right. I, I kind of hired him with assumptions, like I mentioned, and then I didn't have an understanding of what I was doing. So I'm like, this guy knows how to manage, so he's going to do it. Okay. Wasn't the case. Needed leadership. Needed guidance that so, I did not have the skills to. So what happened? Well, it was a lot of mentoring and learning and frustration over time you know me as a younger first time manager really a second time manager kind of yeah um, rolling into this and trying to learn from my mistakes and I, I think that was the first time where I really started to understand that when things don't go well in your business it is not the person's fault that is maybe in your business doing those things it is your fault for not training them sure and so then I had to start looking back at myself and trying to understand what I was really giving them the tools again to succeed just as I said with the customers right wasn't giving them all the, the tools to succeed from himself to the customer I wasn't giving him all the tools to succeed did he stick with it though did he stick it through? Like, was he there for a while? He was there for quite some time, yeah. Okay. About two years or so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we never really got uh, him to the point that I would have been happy with. You know, part of that, again, managing expectations. My sure. expectations are very high. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also part of that, too, is that I still didn't have that skill set to really understand what I could or could not expect out of someone else. And then how I need to set them up for success with all the tools. Because I think a big part of managing expectations that I have now learned is, again, giving them all the tools to succeed. Yeah. So, so how do you now give your team and your team members the tools to succeed, what does that look like now? If you're rolling out a new product, if you're doing a, you know, you've recently, um, you know, I don't know, like refurnished or you know, completely renovated one or two of your stores. So there's a different environment that's exciting. It's a change. It's there's great opportunity that comes along with that. So if you have any goals with, you know, new stages of the business associated with, I mean, you have now far more employees than even at that time. How are you equipping and adding structure to goals so that those changes can really be leveraged to grow the business? So the first thing I've done uh, that completely different from what I did at the beginning is, is heavy training. Before I even roll out a new initiative, I already have my procedures and training down pat. And those may be altered in the first few weeks as we learn a little bit more um, launching a new thing, but I make sure that's down first so that I can then take time to train my team on those uh, new procedures or initiatives before we even get rolling. Mm -hmm. um, and the secondary part of that that I've only begun to understand a little bit more and, and do better about is sharing my vision. 
And I think that that's a really important piece. But how is vision and goal different? In my opinion, and how I see it, goal is a, a finite number or a, a finite destination, right? Vision is kind of an ever-expanding and changing environment um, and, a f- and somewhat of a feeling. While there are also goals inside that vision, I, I feel like it's just kind of a rollover goal, right? Yeah. Like you're achieving this mark, but then it's rolling into the next one that's further down. And as it does, your ideas often change like an amoeba. They kind of go in different directions. Yeah. So, okay, definitely let's spend more time talking about the difference between vision and goal, because I think it's important and probably goes back to some of that earlier conversation we were having about self-motivation and um, earlier conversation about, you know, are you ever satisfied once a goal is met? I think exploring that is probably going to be helpful. But can you dive a little bit deeper into what that conversation with your team looks like in order to kind of coordinate the members of the team around a goal and the roles and responsibilities and expectations that are given to them individually? Is it is it super structured? Do you have like a meeting where everybody has a piece of paper and it says, John is going to do this, he's going to meet this quota. Susan has, you know, is going to do this, she's going to meet this quota. And collectively, we're going to get here. Or is it like, hey, guys, we want to boost sales to this number and we're all going to do it by doing this. Like, what, what does it look like? Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, kind of getting into that sharing the vision first and helping them to understand why you're doing something and getting their personal buy-in behind it. Like, you want something to be, someone to be a part of your ideas that's on your team so that you can then move forward and get to what you really do expect. Because whether I have a finite goal in mind or not, right, I, it's, it's still not one of those things where placing that finite goal on somebody is going to be the most effective way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of keep a lot of those short-term goals silent, to be very honest. And this is just how I operate, right, wrong, or otherwise, this is how I operate. Um, so I, I like to, again, like I said, train my team on what this new initiative or idea is, and then share my vision with them so that we are moving in the right direction together and they understand why we're doing it. And, and I think the benefit there of sharing the vision too is because I don't always have all the answers. Even if it's my idea or my vision or that the one that maybe I'm the most behind, like input from your team is so valuable at that point. And that then kind of sets the stage for what those expectations really can be in the future. Okay. So you recently, I'm going to try to get you to walk me through this. And I want you to pretend that I'm going to work for you for a minute. You recently launched Nitro, Right. right? Which is coffee. In one store or all the stores? All of them. Okay. So new kind of innovative coffee product offering for the area, right? There aren't too many other places that you can go and get the kind of coffee that you're selling. Are there any? Right. Yeah, no, there are. Um, There are, you know, both corporate and smaller chains that do have it, but some of them don't do. But you put like protein in it too, right? Right. We also have an alternative that no one else has with the protein. Yeah. So it's new. It's innovative. Um, You know, assuming that I'm somebody who has been hired because I have an interest in health and wellness, I work out, whatever, you know, say like true, truly I do. I work out and whatever, but I'm not working at absolute nutrition. I don't care that much. But say I do. um, Why? Why should I care about coffee at the stores? And what are you telling me to get me excited about it? Well, I mean. One, I'm pretty sciencey, so we 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 discuss the nitty gritty um, as far as in, in between our team, how it's made, why it's made, why we took so long to get it to market, how we care about it more um, to make sure that it's the best every single time. And, and to me, success is always in the details. And a lot of people may argue the speed versus execution thing. I'm also a speed and execution thing, but details are what maintain the long term, right? This is not something that we're going to do or die. And then in six months, we move on, right? Yeah. How long did you take to decide on the product itself? Uh, It was like 
I mean, start decide to that we're going to do it or to, to finalize Start it? to finish idea to it's in the stores being sold. About seven or eight months. Okay. All right. So, and you're probably talking about it throughout the seven or eight months, like where you're at with the team. Yes, okay. they were they were definitely a part of the the testing phases and, and input there um, as we went along. Now, given some of that, there was maybe a slight break in the middle of that as we kind of had to shift focus into some more important matters mm-hmm. like moving stores. But mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, it took a long time to kind of filter through this idea. So I discuss kind of the nitty gritty behind how and why we do it, um, and then. We're, we always put an emphasis on quality at Absolute Nutrition. So we, we always go back to focus on why this is better, you know, and not necessarily better than so-and-so's, but just better than most of the market, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I in, try to get my team on board with me. Mm-hmm. And we, Do you we, find that that's a value that's consistent with your team members, that knowing that something that they're selling is of high value? Absolutely. So is it something that you look for as a quality when you hire, so you already know kind of what's important to them and how to motivate them? Yes. If okay. there's someone who does not care about quality, it's one of the most important things in, in their box, then they probably don't work for us. Okay. So you've educated them on the product, why it's quality, how it's different. As you got closer to launching it, I mean, you don't want to introduce a new product and then have nobody buy it. So how did you integrate them? And I mean, it's about sales, right? Like that's what keeps the lights on. That's what, you know, serves your customers. That's how they get the product, right? So once you, you know, got ready to launch the product, I saw it on social media, you know, I follow you, I follow Absolute Nutrition. So I know that there's, you know, you're pushing some stuff out there, but how do you get your team to really be ambassadors? And then how do you let them know how you're going to measure whether or not they're successful? Hmm, these are tough questions for me to answer right off. Uh, I I would say I didn't uh, I don't have a lot of trouble getting people on board with my ideas because harebrained as they may be, usually people can see the value in having those as a part of our our organization, right? Um, and I think I've also never I don't have a reputation for leading my team wayward into very weird constrained ideas that yeah. don't make sense. And so while putting protein and coffee together in this uh, concoction that we've come up with has not been done before that I could find anywhere. Uh, this, you know, everybody was very on board with it, mainly because they like it. Thankfully, I have a lot of people on my team that like coffee, caffeine, and they like protein, right? That's kind of part of what we do. Yeah. Um, and so getting them to understand and have some personal buy-in behind that was was very easy. It's not like I had to, to stress it at all. Like, they were on board. They were excited about it, something new for their customers, too. You know, they were excited to kind of hype it out to their customers and get people talking about it. Um, and they're always excited about, uh, you know, additional sales opportunities and, and, and things that can keep people coming back. And so for us, it was also that, that piece that really helps to bring people back to see them more often. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean a, a sale that every single time that's, you know, product-based or whatever else, but they really get to enjoy uh, better community and relationships with their customers because they do see them more frequently. Yeah. And they don't only see them more frequently. Like, I think delivering an item like this, it almost delivers joy, right? Right. Like you're giving someone their caffeine. And, you're excited about and it. I'm, ex- yeah, I'm excited ex- about it. They're excited about it. Everybody's like, excited about it. There, there's not a lot of loss there. Like, right. You know, everybody's happy. It's a win-win scenario for everyone. And yeah. so um, expanding into a little different market from what we're used to, it's been exciting but immediately rewarding because yeah. you get to see the gratuitous feedback, too, and the positive responses. Mm-hmm. And so that immediately motivated our team to continue to, to move more into that category and mm-hmm. really rally behind the idea and continue to grow it to where we're pushing out 
so many gallons last week once we get growlers in and it really increases our volume output that we run out and have to scale up. Yeah. So you're feeling good right now because you're actually seeing this vision that you had. You're seeing these goals that you put in place for your team. They're educated. They're excited about it. You're feeling good about it. And then it's success measured by the amount of sales volume that you're seeing. So, I mean, I think it maybe not to make an assumption, but if you went through all of that trouble and then nobody bought it, you know, that would be considered so, failure. Yeah. So, I, I so has went, that ever happened before? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely done things before that I was super excited about yeah. and they fell off. I can't think of any one particular instance off the top of my head, but definitely products where I've been like, this is going to be awesome. Brought it in and then expectation is awesome. Mm -hmm. Reality. Reality, It is not not awesome. awesome. Yeah. And it (laughs) happens, but I think, you know, you, you just have to learn not to spend a lot of time behind that, that failure and keep moving. And I think that, you know, my personality type, you asked earlier about failures and things like that earlier on. And it's, am I afraid of failure? Honestly, yes. More so now than I used to be, but I don't ever think about it mm-hmm. really. That's that may not be completely true, but I, I didn't used to think about it. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm the kid that would jump on top of the roof, playing hide and seek, run across it, and I'm not thinking about weak spots in the roof where I'm gonna fall through the attic. I'm just thinking about getting away from the person behind me. Yeah. And I think that I've carried that mentality into my business to almost uh, just keep running forward, right? And and don't think about what you're stepping on as you're as you're going or where you're gonna fall. You just if you do fall, you know you're gonna get back up and keep running. And yeah. so that's kind of how I handle handle those failures. And so, but you get up and you keep running. But I think that like again, there's an important distinction between what happens whenever you know you fall and you're right back on your feet. You know, you just pop right back up. You know, because your head is still in the game. What happens whenever you've got seven people behind you? Whenever you're getting ready to release a product, I mean, has there been no time along the way that somebody on your team fell and you needed to like stop where you were at ahead of them, go back and help them get back up and say, we need you in the game. Here's where I need you. Like what, like how do you, your expectation is that they're going to be right behind you running with you all along the way. You've educated them. You've, you know, communicated what the expectation is when someone falls short, literally or figuratively what do you do as a leader to go back and say my expectation is that you're going to get up and you're going to run with me what do we need to do to get you there hmm i've got to give that one a little bit more critical thought (laughs) that's not really an off-the-cuff answer (laughs) i wasn't prepared for that what i was still thinking about though while my brain is working is to dig a little deeper and give you more direct examples when we launched this we figured out a relative amount of cold brew that we could have throughput wise and what what it would look like through the week. Mm -hmm. We also knew worst case scenario freshness. We had an extended period of time to get through that. So we kind of shut the middle and, and knew that we would be okay. It took off so quickly that we were able to not have to go to any contingency plans. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, we've had to scale up rapidly. Um, But at that same time, the reason I don't set, I mentioned earlier, I don't set those concrete goals at the beginning with a new initiative like this is because we don't have a marker. Uh, and I am a big believer now, after experience, that if you set this goal and then they fall short, they never feel good about it. But if we're launching a new initiative, now we've been doing this for six or eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And so our conversation this Monday was based off what we've seen so far. Now we have a metric to as our baseline. Okay. And then we can take that metric up. And so I communicated my next goal based on our, our current standing of metrics. And that's where the whole team was like, great, yeah, this is our this is where we're at and we can only go up from here. Like this yeah. is our baseline. So so now we have a goal and I can also go in again with I, I mentioned earlier about facts. Mm-hmm. I have some facts and information to base it off of. I'm not just 
you know, putting a wag, a wild ass guess out there, right? Mm-hmm. Which I would have been before because again, no one else was doing what we're doing. So I could have worked all the forecasting that I, you know, thought about, but I'm not some multinational corporation that has these marketing teams that know my exact demographics in the Huntsville, Madison, Decatur area and can dig in and go, yeah, this is exactly what you can expect. So I like to get people uh, a little bit of work underneath them first, and Mm -hmm. then they can kind of move forward from there, what they see, and then they feel good about it. Yeah. And and going back to those expectations, goals, we had another conversation this Monday about sales numbers and goals and watching everybody nail them. Mm -hmm. And the difference in them nailing them, honestly, is on a week to week basis, instead of evening things out, managing their goals based on their 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 daily averages of customers in store or sales averages those goals that you put out there for your team are they really where you want to be are they your goals or are they the goals that you set for your team yes and no and I, again i don't set them i i help them to set them I, okay. I, and i'm serious about this when we as but we're did rolling, you used to set them yes okay it was failed like it was like seriously three managers you know three different locations maybe one manager would achieve 50% of the time, the rest would constantly fall short. I see. Because they were my numbers, not theirs. There was no ownership over them. I see. And it was also this high driving number of like, well, we used to be able to do this. We're like, well, I did this. Yeah. Nobody cares about what Matt can do. And that's that's not their expectations. They don't have any buy-in on what Matt can do. Yeah. They have buy-in on what Tony can do, mm-hmm. right? Or what Carly can do. And mm-hmm. so that's the difference is helping them to take ownership of that and, and making it theirs. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be theirs that they own and they, they know that they set that number. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from there, like I, like I mentioned before, we can take that number together and then I can you know kind of give them some mentoring on why they can achieve maybe a little bit further. But I also have to be okay with them falling short of where I think they can do, mm-hmm. right? Give them, let them win a couple times. Mm-hmm. Let them get some confidence under their belt to win at their own goals. And then we can start to edge it up and then they can see that we can move forward together. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think that, you know, what you're describing is that you're letting the team really kind of be a team, right? And and be partners and meeting the goals together and letting them celebrate each other. And you're just there to be lead cheerleader for them helping the business grow collectively. And, you know, I think that that's a demonstration of effective leadership is that you've enabled people to feel good about the way that they're participating. You're letting them celebrate each other. Maybe there's a little bit of competitiveness there. You're rewarding them. Um, you know, so I think my question then would be, be as we planned for this conversation before we hit record on the podcast was um, you had made the comment about I don't set goals for people because you know and I'm paraphrasing I'm too aggressive you know it it will never if I set the goals for them that I would set for myself it's not realistic I know I don't set realistic goals for myself why would I put that on other people Um, you know so so how do you so how do you set goals? I mean, what's your process then? Because I think for so many business leaders, so many high performers, that's the danger is that you could start to set these expectations that you would set for yourself. And then when they're not met, you, you create toxic, toxic, negative cultural environments. So so you're but I know I know you. So I know you still set those goals for yourself. So how do you well, so here's the frame benefit. it yeah. for your team. I mean, those are good questions. I'm going to flip it back around on you in a second. But the the important thing that I have to work with now is 10 years of longevity. We have historical information we can look back on, right? And so comparing KPIs and, and sales numbers and things like that is very easy for us to, to manage historically and get an idea, um, even up to more relative time frames. And so 
that's what I can base it off of right now, right? Which is unfair to those that maybe don't have those things. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how we can operate now. Um, and then, you know, that's where I can help my team to understand the differences mm-hmm. between those. And, and we will go through every metric from, you know, average item price, the number of items a ticket, to the number of customers through the door, to the, you know, the weather that month maybe sometimes. I mean, you, you name it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so those are the things where it's it's different for me. Um, but someone starting off who is starting a, a brand new business, like I can remember back in the day, all I was focused on was more, like more than last month, right? And so I'm just trying to drive the needle forward. And so whatever that, that made sense. If you were to look at my first 18 months of sales, you know, we made a dramatic increase, which I would hope new businesses would, right? But the, the difference in where we started month one through three to where we were at month 18 in, wildly different. Mm-hmm. But again, that's just one of those things where, you know, I was in control driving my own ship. When, when you have a ship that others are helping you pilot, it's not the same. And you have to understand the way that they operate, what their, you know, needs and, and goals in mind are. And that is something much more difficult as a leader to understand. And I'm still 10 years in trying to find the best way to understand that. Yeah, during, that reminds me of last week. Um, for our second August speaker series event with Kim Lewis. When Cole was interviewing her, he asked what her metrics for success were. Because when she started, she was, you know, the only employee on her team. She was essentially just a contractor. And so her goal was to just always generate more business, have more clients, have more revenue that she was directly supporting. But now I think it's something like 12 years in and she's got around 100 people that's 100 families so success for her as she described now was how many of those employees are sticking around how are they able to provide for their families Uh, what is their morale like and so of course the way to do that is to ensure that they have enough revenue and business generated to continually employ them but also paying attention to are they sticking around? Are they happy here? Am I able to take care of them? Am I able to serve them? Am I a servant leader for my team? And so I think that, you know, you've just described that exact same thing. At one point, it was like, get the shop open, sell some stuff, hire the people that are needed. But you've really cultivated more of a team environment where you're taking care of those people, letting them set their own goals. And as a result, everybody wins. Well, yeah. And that's and that's the thing is like, you almost have to check it too if someone as competitive as myself who you know, I always want to run the needle forward. I'm never not going to want to run the needle forward, but it's not for my own personal gain. It's just because I like to run the needle forward. Like I like to always achieve. I'm a high achiever. I'm one of those people who's always after the next thing, but that does not mean that people fall by the wayside. Now that doesn't mean all the years prior that that was always the case, right? I, I, I almost had those in my peripheral, but wasn't paying attention to it. Um, and you know, made a series of bad choices as a manager and leader based on that. Right. Whereas now I very much consider my team, in more of the initiatives we do and the more that we operate. Um, and I think the other perspective I have is that, you know, we backpedaled for a couple of years there. We, we kept achieving, kept achieving. And then in any length of time, most businesses probably will see some stagnation or maybe uh, even, you know, kind of going backwards a little bit. And that's very hard to chew on, especially if you are that constant high achiever and need to move on to the next thing, grow, grow, grow mentality. And so I think that yielded some interesting perspective and lessons for me to really understand, one, how we need to operate effectively, two, what really matters at the end of the day, 
and and you know like three like you just mentioned like your team what at the end of the day what's more important that top end number moving or your team being happy and being with you and things going well on a daily basis your customers being happy because your team is happy right you know things like that that if you're just focused on those numbers that's not going to happen and so i think uh in, in managing those expectations the part that i didn't mention was you know, in setting those numbers for everybody else, people weren't happy. Like they weren't happy with me, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm setting this number for them. Dictator. Yeah, it almost, yeah. And, and that wasn't my goal. That was just how it came across. And so while I thought I was being helpful, right? And, and, and kind of sitting there, you know, helping them pilot things forward, I was not at all. I was just giving them rules and, and like unachievable numbers to go after. And, yeah. you know, that was not benefiting the organization, the person or myself. Mm-hmm. No one was mm-hmm. winning, you know? And so... That's those are kind of the lessons I've learned. But the what I, the what I, the way I want to flip this around on you is if you were to be in a new business or maybe just a startup just beginning, how would you set your goals and expectations? Um, hmm. Um, well, I think it. I think you ha- you have to tie those things to the business, you know. So I mean, it's not. I think if, um, you know, if the business again was a nonprofit, you know, it's really tied around impact and even some for profits, a lot of social entrepreneurs will tie some of their goals to impact. Um, but so I don't really know how to answer that question in conversation before, again, we got started today and we're just kind of talking about things we could talk about. Um, we, we try, I, I mentioned that I tried to practice what some of the advice we had gotten earlier in the year from Brandon Cruz to say, you know, you can, we've been talking a lot about sales. Sales is one metric, right? So if you can educate and inform your team on what data point you're going to use as the litmus test for whether or not you're moving in the correct direction, that's very, very helpful. And so, um, you know, you can have these big ideas, these big strategies that should be tied to a vision, there really needs to be a drill down into what is the metric that we are actually going to use to quantify whether or not we are moving in a direction that will help us meet that vision to arrive at that utopian place where like we are living in the future of what we once dreamed. And so I think that while it would be very hard to, you know, are we talking about a technology product? Are we talking about another nonprofit organization? Are we talking about retail? I think the strategy for putting together those goals would be the same. Let's talk about in a dream world, what are we trying to achieve? Who do we want to be? Who are we? How do we want to be perceived? What are we selling? What do we want the feelings to be? What how kind of uh, what kind of cultural, what kind of environment, what kind of values do our team have that are going to, you know, re- be representative of what's happening there? And then drill that down into here's how we're going to do it and here's how we're going to measure what we do. And so that's what the Urban Engine strategic plan is is formatted in just that way. And so if I was going to do it again, I would try to take the same approach. I think that's good information because again, and you know, I know sales is just the easy one to discuss here, but you know, there is a rep in my industry that used to work for another brand that's celebrity led and they were very much un, you know, invincible mindsets, right? We can do anything. We can do all this. And so earlier on while they were doing healthy sales volume, you know, 80 to a hundred thousand a month, they're like, well, we need to be in a million a month. Like, this is ridiculous. Why aren't right. we there? You know? And he's like, guys, we're, we're kicking ass. Like, we're growing like crazy, you know? But they're, they're not meeting these unrealistic expectations. And it was just kind of a toxic workplace for him. And, and yeah. it was because these expectations were, you know, it wasn't that they 
weren't achievable eventually, but you can't just flip a switch. Right. And so for the communication and, and again, shared vision, I think, between your team and, le- and the upper leaders management need to be together and they need to be in, in conjunction with one another if right. they're going to operate effectively. And I think the challenge for someone like me who, and, you know, we did also spend some time talking about personalities and styles about doing things. Um, I think for me and having such placing such a value on people and making sure that people are taken care of and everyone has a voice to be heard. And um, I know that this is important to you too, is because you're not just trying to scale and have as many unique customers as possible. What you want is to be the destination for the person that's going to be, you know, in that top 20% of customers that's going to come to your store and spend the most money and have relationships with your staff and they catch up about their family while they're there and they catch up about their performance and their growth in the gym and, you know, whatever else they're trying to do professionally. I mean, to me, there's so much more value in that happening regardless of what business or what sector or what industry you're running. Um, You know, that's the 80-20 rule, right? And so you can grow to scale and you can have the most unique users, but there's not a whole lot of longevity in that. I think as that translates to Urban Engine and where we've been over the last four years, that's the difference between somebody stopping by one of our programs to check it out and the person that has steadily been coming back year over year who maybe started as an entry-level software developer who has now joined a startup team and has decided that, you know, they're going to go and do something together and we'll go through their first round of funding and then they start to hire more people. I mean, that's what slow, steady growth and impact looks like. And so your metrics and goal setting really need to align for that um, to kind of qualify whether or not you're poised for long-term growth. Not everybody builds their business that way. Yeah. And so I think if we, you know, I'd like to just give the listeners some takeaways here from some of what we've chatted about. Um, you know, and the, the first one that I, I will say, as I mentioned earlier is, you know, training and shared vision. Like, I really think that if you're a leader in an organization, you need to share your vision and really train your team on what it is that you're trying to do. Make sure they have a full understanding of it and get their buy-in. And if you don't have your buy-in, maybe you need to look back at your idea, right? Because you mentioned that earlier and that kind of caught me off board, like why in the world would they not? But you know, really and truly, it's okay to have pushback on a team. That's 100% okay. But if you are getting that much pushback, you really probably need to look back at your idea and go, why am I getting pushback? Mm-hmm. And that's where, like I mentioned earlier, that some of that growth like an amoeba or change like an amoeba as people feed into your ideas, it can be important to pay attention to. One, because you need to make sure that you're keeping things focused. But two, because you may have valuable input that sends you in a different direction other than your intended. Maybe it's a slight turn to the right, but it's the better one. And so listening to that feedback earlier on can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, two, as you get rolling, continuing to kind of help everyone on your team understand um, goals and expectations, right? Um, what those now look like as they develop. Or maybe you have uh, hard goals and, and uh, expectations from the get-go. But, you know, discussing those as a team, whether they're going well and you're achieving or whether you're falling short and, and you're readjusting and realigning there. Um, I, I think that uh, consistent um, kind of calibration is important. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, that's something too that I did not do. I'm more of more like a set it and forget it. You missed it. Try again next time kind of manager. Mm-hmm. And then as I've 
grown over the years and failed over the years, I've come back to be like, okay, you keep putting this number down and it's not working. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. Right? Maybe we need to recalibrate. That's not the number we need to go for. Let's shoot here. And then when we hit that, then we can slowly make our way back in that direction. Or maybe just things have changed, right? Right. You know, going through, like I mentioned, a slowdown of, of sales over time, that was something where it was a complete readjustment. Nobody plans for that, I don't think. Unless you're going into a recession, like very few people are like, yeah, and you know, after about eight months, we're probably just going to go downhill a little bit. So, you know, we need to plan for that. Mm -hmm. You have your seasons, but outside of that, your, you know, longer length of time in business, you can't really plan for that. So you have to recalibrate. You have to look back at it and your team needs to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so evaluating and looking back, I mean, you've, you've mentioned, and I don't want listeners to take for granted that you're able, able to look at empirical data and see what the trends are and you're able to use that information to form and um, influence your goals, your team's goal making, right? So, hey guys, we see this trend, you know, knowing that these are the trends and, you know, here's what's going on in the time of year. Where do you think we should be this month or this quarter, however you do it? And I think too, just for the sake of making sure that it's addressed within the time that we have today, a lot of what Matt and I have talked about is communication. And so to be an effective manager, uh, business leader, entrepreneur, business owner, startup founder, whatever, if you are not setting intentional time to have these discussions with the team that you're working on, or even for yourself to really look at the data and to write out what those goals are and how you're going to measure them, you're missing the mark. And so I think that, you know, even if it's just once a month, once a week, whatever you can manage, have an intentional conversation, talk about the vision, talk about what's going on in the business right now, and get your team involved in it. It really does need to be a conversation that everybody is having, and then building in again time to reflect as a team so that you can look, did we meet the goal that we set together? And if not, why? And what are we going to do for next time? Yeah, and I think the last piece of recommendation that I would have there is really trying to understand the personalities of those that are on your team uh, from a standpoint of those that are your high drivers or are your more critical analyzing thinkers um, that maybe shoot a little bit lower than where you'd like to be at. Or you have those high drivers. I've had to reel people in before because they were even further. It was like, hey, man, just to let you know, this isn't realistic. Totally. You know, I, I want you to be successful in this. Yes. And so just, again, understanding those Like tendencies. so badly you want them to be right. Right. Yeah. No, I would <laughs> love that. But, you know, it's one of those things where as much as I have to check myself, I also have to help them and set them up for success again. So finding how they, because some people are going to be more conservative. Right. And so I need to encourage them to be a little less conservative. Right? right. And then the ones on the top and we need to reel them in. So understanding that personality type of each additional leader on your team outside of yourself mm -hmm. um, and how you can work with them to match wits based on their needs or their tendencies. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks again for listening in. Tony, we're sorry to see you leave off on the podcast here, but thanks for joining us once again. I'll come back whenever you guys need me. Oh, we will definitely need you. <laughs> we will be asking you back on. So guys, thanks for listening. As always, if you have any questions, uh, please shoot us an email to podcast at urbanengine.org. Thanks. See you guys. <laughs>